see everybody. Let's go ahead and get started. Let's start with prayer and welcome. And we're going to continue to hit the ground running. We're going to be in chapter 3 on uh, repentance and baptism. And so we're going to continue down the track just as we have been doing. would encourage you to think in terms and continue to pray about who you can take through the Purple Book. Uh, we've got several. This is starting to kind of spread out. It's, it's like um, concentric circles of influence. It's sort of getting larger and larger, even so much that we had some folks at our life group last night. We did our last little life group, and we're going to take a break for the summer and do some things over the summer and regroup in the fall. But So we had our last meeting, but it was really interesting because now other churches are starting to pick up on it, and they're asking questions. What's this Purple Book thing I keep hearing about? So what does a witness do, Jerry? They answer the question. So what's happening is people begin to say, oh, it's, it's a discipleship. We're, we're doing discipleship. So people are very interested, and in, we're actually having now people wanting to buy books to give out to their friends that are, that are involved. And so I think that's neat. It's exciting. We'll see how that thing just continues to perpetuate as we, as we move along. So we're going to continue. Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. That is great. I also, that's wonderful. So that's there. And then I also got a, a, a message from Pastor Brian Agnew in Lisburn, Northern Ireland. That's where the McIntosh family are going to be moving to. Uh, they were looking at August. We're probably going to bump it since they're having triplets. I don't know if y'all knew that. She's pregnant, naturally pregnant with, with triplets, uh, maybe even supernaturally because anyway, that's a whole other story. So uh, so that's happening. So they're going to bump their, their time back unless something, you know, there's always logistical things that could happen that could, miraculous things that could happen. So anyway, so Br Pastor Brian is the pastor there. He reached out to me and he said, you got to tell me, what's this purple book you guys are doing? So, because he keeps seeing it on, on my webpage. We follow each other and comment on each other's stuff. So he, he hit me up about that and I said, oh, let me tell you, it's interesting because their church did a flip about six years ago. They were a church that, they were in Lisburn, just outside of Belfast, um, kind of reaching some of the upper echelon folks, um, upper class, upper middle class, and et cetera, but they weren't really reaching the community. So they were in downtown Lisburn, and people were driving into their church, and one day the Lord just really, really touched uh, Pastor Brian's heart, and he said, we're not really reaching our community. We're reaching the suburbs. We're reaching outside, but we're not reaching here. And they begin to do some things intentionally that begin to bring in people that were right there from that area, which was a much uh, more challenged financially, a lot of poverty, a lot of brokenness, uh, addiction. And they began to do some things to minister right where they were instead of trying to reach outside. And their church did a flip. So he said, he, he told me, he said, he knows how to shrink a church, and it is to begin reaching the poor of their city. And they lost about 70% of their church. And people that had been with them for a long time in their financial base suffered. But they weathered the storm, and now they're growing again, catching a lot of traction. But they're winning a lot of people to Jesus. So evangelism and discipleship are critical. So they've been strong in evangelism, but not strong in discipleship. So that's kind of the next phase for them. So it was really timely of us getting to help them. And uh, he was really excited about it. So he was going to go ahead and get one because you can order them on Amazon. And yes, Amazon delivers to Lisburn, Northern Ireland. So 
They're everywhere, right? And so he's going to get that, going to look at it, and it may be something they implement there. And that's when I told Austin that, he was really excited. He said, I was excited about taking that there, but it, I said, well, we beat you, the, beat you to it. So uh, you're dragging your feet, you know, having triplets and stuff, so we're going to keep moving, advancing the kingdom. So got to give him a hard time, right? So let's pray as we get started. Father, right now we posture ourselves before you, first of all, as sons and as daughters, we're here as your kids. We're here. We're king's kids. We're royalty. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Father, you give us the privilege of calling you Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. And Lord, we're so grateful that you allow us that familiarity where we can step in and come close to you. And so even in this moment right now, we do that. We pray for our students that are meeting next door tonight, Lord. Father, it would be a sweet time for them. Grace upon grace over the next generation. Father, even now, we turn our attention to your word and to, to learning and digging deeper and laying strong foundations for us so that we can, in turn, begin to lead and teach others. So give us grace as we lean in. We honor you. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we may know the truth that sets us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, well, we always start off, we always have that harvest slide up there. That's just as a reminder of what... Really, and, and I'm going to unpack this this summer. We're going to have some different things. We've got a series we're going to do this summer that's going to lead towards uh, a conversation about what this Harvest Vision is all about. But the very reason that while we are becoming a standalone church and, and going off to college, we've used that metaphor, but really it's more like we're getting married and moving away, and uh, we'll be more on our own because we, we realized, like with our own daughter, when they go off to college, they're still very dependent on you. So we're, we're changing our metaphor to we're getting married. So we're moving off and getting married. We'll be on our own. But what precipitated that was the harvest vision that the Lord first gave to Max and then to our leaders. And so uh, we'll unpack that. But I always want to keep it before you so you understand the why behind the what. The what is we're growing up. The what is we're going off on our own. But the why is this. It's the harvest vision that, that we believe the Lord gave us as leaders. So it's exciting. So moving right along, the purple book, we're going to start in chapter three tonight, Repentance and Baptism. I want to share another... Um, quote from Francis Chan. Uh, he wrote a book called Multiply, and that book on Multiply was about making disciples. It's about the mission of Jesus, and we know that to be the truth because he made it very clear that this is what the mission is. You go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, Son, Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them teaching them what I've taught. And, and you know, he says, I'll be with you always. So listen to this statement. This is a different quote than last week, but it is the same book. He says this, we reduce discipleship to a canned program. And so many in the church end up sidelined in a spectator mentality that delegates disciple making to pastors and professionals, ministers and missionaries. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I know all of us have been in churches where that may have been the case, where it was always like these guys doing it and then we just showed up and watched or we sat through a class. And I told you from the beginning of this class, not this 
study, but nearly two years ago when we started this, two and a half now, I said, this is not about coming to an endless Bible study. It's coming to be equipped, to be prepared so we can go out and do the mission of Jesus. So it's not just about showing up and doing a repetitive, ongoing Bible study. It's about getting equipped so that when you're out in your world where you live, where you work, and where you play, you have something that's been deposited in you that you can draw upon in any given situation and be prepared to do as we talk about answer the questions because that's what a witness does. So not only do you do that as a witness, but now even a more intentional and more uh, purposeful step is not only are we going to answer the questions as a witness, but we're also going to make disciples of those that the Lord brings in our life. And remember we said this, you need to have a Paul in your life. A Paul is somebody who is, is further down the track than you are, a mentor, a coach, could be a pastor, a staff pastor, could be a friend. I've got several in my life that I've drawn upon through the years. Some of them are near, some of them are far. And so these are Pauls. But you also need to have Barnabas in your life. And that's those around you that are peers, that are encouragers, and they're the ones that walk with you through the good times and the stinky times. They're the ones that when Jesus talked about Lazarus and said, he stinketh, he's been in the grave, what, three, four days, and yet they didn't abandon, they stayed close. A Barnabas stays close to the thick and the thin. They're there when the bottom drops out. They're there when, you're, when your crazy dysfunctional family goes, goes on, a, on a rant or on a tirade. They're there, they don't abandon you when they find out you're not perfect. How many of you need some Barnabas folks in your life? <laughs> Amen. And so, so, but the other piece of that, so you've got a Paul over your life and walking with you, but you also have the Barnabas around you, but also those that you have been given charge over and the ability and the privilege of discipling, those are the Timothys in your life. And you need to have some Timothys. Timothys are the people that you're, you're mentoring, you're coaching, you're leading, you're inspiring, you're motivating, you're shaping. You're raising up, so to speak, the next generation. And so that's part of that whole thing. But in the past, it's been very common where you had the paid staff doing all the stuff, and everybody in the, in the seats are like, hey, go get them, go get them, pastor, go get them. And I remember coming up as a young Christian, being part of a church that had that mentality, and I was like, it, it just intuitively as a brand new follower of Jesus at 19 years of age, I thought to myself, this isn't right. And I, didn't, I wasn't even raised in church, but it didn't even make sense that these guys were getting to have all the fun because I wanted to, I'm a, I wanted to play football. I want to get out. I don't want to sit in the stands. If I signed up to play football, which I did in high school, I didn't want to sit on the bench. I, I, I signed up to get involved. I wanted to be in the game. So sit, riding the pine was not exciting for me. And so I always did everything I could so I didn't have to do that. But it's the same way as a follower of Jesus. What would be the point of coming to know Christ and then sitting in a pew or a chair the rest of your life and not actually doing anything? How boring is that? Those are the people that get so frustrated because they're not actually doing the mission of Jesus, so they find other things to complain about, like the temperature of the room, the sound, uh, what, what Pastor Jimmy's wearing or not wearing. I remember having a, a man come up to me at our church in Abilene, and I wore a tie like once. Uh, I, was just, I broke down, wore a tie, and he came up to me, and he, he pulled on my tie, and he, very condescending, he said, now you look like a real pastor. Yes, the tie made me legitimate. 
So, yeah. So, I mean, hey, but you know what? That man was not on the mission of Jesus. Because when you're on the mission of Jesus, you don't have time to complain. You're so forward thinking and you're so going down. You don't even care anymore about the stuff that bothered you because you're on a mission to make disciples, to change the world. And that's the stuff that gets you up in the morning, gets me up early in the morning, and it's the stuff that wakes me up in the middle of the night because I'm excited about what this is all about. Now listen to the rest of the statement. He says, but this is not the way it's supposed to be. Making disciples is far more than a program. And everybody said, this is not, the Purple Book is not a program. It's just a tool. It is one of many wrenches in your toolbox. It's just a tool. It's not something to be worshipped. It's not the Bible. It is a tool that leads us towards the Word of God and gives us something to do, or at least a track to run on. Making disciples is far more than a program. It is the mission of our lives, and that's what keeps me up. That's what gets me up. That's what gets me excited, is when I'm on mission. But if I'm not on mission, I'm bored. And if I'm bored, I'm dangerous. I don't know about you. You're probably not, but I am. So I got to have something in front of me that is a target, something I'm moving toward. God wired me that way. He wired me for purpose, on purpose. How about you? And there's some of you are in your earlier years, and I could really say this to the broader body, not just you're here because you're on mission. But there are some that in their early years, they had passionate dreams about being a, somebody who moved the kingdom down the, down the field, who, who had a heart after God and were excited, but disappointment in life and disillusionment and failure and life happened. The wheels fell off and the dream diminished, diminished, diminished to the point now they come to church, but it's a habit. They come, it's an obligation. They come because they don't want to make God mad. They want to please him as opposed to actually living on mission, saying, Lord, I'm here. And like Isaiah, here am I, send me. It's the three W's, whatever, whenever, wherever. That's living a life on mission. That's when this thing gets fun. And until you get to that point, it can be just drudgery. It's just it's the law. It's just following some rules. So look at this. Making disciples far more than a program. It's the mission of our lives. It defines us. It defines us. A disciple is a disciple maker. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we are being transformed into his image. God wants to change us so much that it intrigues others. And we've talked about that. We've said that our life should be compelling, that others want to know how is it that all this junk is going on in your life, but you seem to be overcoming. You seem to be living above that. You seem to be living above the line when the rest of the world's not. You're up in a down world. Our lives should precipitate the response of those that are in our relational orbit to where they want to know how are you doing that? How are you making it? Um, I posted a thing on Facebook. I do a daily devotional. I found some old entries from like 2013 where when we were in our wilderness, and I just wrote a whole series of writings called, in my journal called, thought about a book that I should just do a book on this, Lessons from the Wilderness. And it was just, what, what am I learning now that the wheels have fallen off my life? What am I learning now that I've been fired? What am I learning now that I'm getting rejection letters from every every resume I send out. What am I learning through this? 
Is it making me more angry at the people that, that precipitated this, or am I actually getting healed from that? And so I wrote a series of writings, and I shared one this week, and it got quite a response, but it was because people began to say, man, I'm in that wilderness too. I, I get it. I, I, I know what you're going through. And it was back in 2013, but it was interesting because I had several of my friends. Sometimes you don't know, understand your reach. You'll write something on Facebook. You'll think, oh, nobody's even reading that. And then all of a sudden you hear from somebody from your past. And I had several people, some private messaged me, some did it publicly, said, I, I walked with you through that. I saw your life through that. And your life, because of the way you handled that, has inspired me, and it's still impacting my family today. And man, I mean, I wasn't like trolling for that kind of stuff. I was just wanting to help others and say, hey, you can make it. But it was amazing to hear people that said, I watched your life, and it encouraged and inspired me. And I just go, wow, yay, God, go Jesus. Because I'm telling you, I wasn't feeling very inspired in the middle of that, I'm just saying sitting down in a basement of a friend's house, you know, pecking out resumes on a computer was not very inspiring, but it was like, hold the line, hold the course. But we've got to live a life that's intriguing, that's compelling, that when we're on the mountaintop, it's easy. It's when the wheels fall off and you're in one of the bar ditches on either side of the road and you're still, you're still after God and you're living a hallelujah anyway life. You know what hallelujah anyway means? It means no matter what's going on in your life, you declare hallelujah. You raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah anyway. And so that's what we're talking about. Chapter 3, Repentance and Baptism. Uh, Acts 2.38, I just want to read this. This kicks off. If you have your book, you can turn there. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A lot of things going on right there. There's repentance, which precipitates that the preaching of the gospel had gone forth. If you read Acts chapter 2, we know Peter stood and preached the first full-on gospel message. Full-on, right after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And Peter's saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot going on right there in those, just those few words. So that kicks off chapter 3. Luke 15, 11 through 32. not going to read this story. I'm just going to give you the summary of that because that's what it is in the book, and you can see it for yourself. The prodigal son. Ted, uh, Tim Keller actually wrote a book called The Prodigal God. He talked about the fact that it was God who ran to meet the son and how just the, uh, there was such a twist put on that story and I'll share that with you. I've mentioned it before, but it's one of those, one of those jewels in the scripture that we don't know because it's not apparent, but I'll share something with you in a minute. Look, you can read in your own book if you have it. It's on the screen. One of the most gripping stories in the Bible concerns a relationship crisis between a father and a son. Jesus told the story of a son who took his inheritance and went away and squandered it with wild living. He ended up losing everything and living in despair. The Bible says he eventually came to his senses. Remember that? He was in a pig's, pig pen. Sometimes when you're at the very bottom, it, it takes getting there to, to bring you to your senses. Amen? Am I the only human who's been there done that? I have a, I have a closet full of t-shirts on that one. So just sometimes I'm slow and the Lord just has to get me where he needs to get me. 
came to his senses, determined to get up and return to his father. And this is a picture of what it meant by repentance. In essence, being truly sorry for our sins and desperate to restore our relationship with God, our heavenly father. I take that a step further, and they do address that later. The idea is when he came to his senses, he returned. And that's what repentance is. It means to turn or to return. So very simply, I've done this a dozen times, you're going this way, and somebody asks the golden question, which is? Awesome, you got it. How's that working for you? It's not working for me. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. And to repent literally means to turn and go back the other way. And that's exactly what happened. He woke up and realized, he came to his senses and realized how far away he was from his father. And he says, I have to go back. And he said, but you know what? I've already squandered my inheritance. I've blown it, but I will go back as a slave. I'll go back as an indentured servant. And I'll serve and I'll do whatever I have to do, but I've got to go back. And oh, man, the beauty of the story. Here's what I love about this story that's a little known fact, and I don't know why we don't talk about it more, but it was actually an idiomatic story. It was um, kind of like Hansel and Gretel to us, kind of like uh, the three pigs. It's like all these stories uh, that we grew up with, fables and stories that are really life lessons. The Wizard of Oz was a political commentary. It's crazy how, how loaded that is. But though we grew up with these stories, and they're a bit innocuous, but they teach lessons, right? They teach morals. Well, this was an idiomatic story of their time. And in their story, when the sun went out, when they would tell the story to their kids and their children, and when they would tell that story as a culture, common story, they would tell it with a different spin on it. And the way they told it and the common understanding of it was when the son returned to the father, the father rejected the son. He was turned away. That was how they told the story. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Jesus completely flipped the script on it and changed the story. It would be like you changing the end ending to any of our known fables, right? Hansel and Gretel, you change the story, you change the ending, and anyone who knows the story would go, whoa, 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 that's not how it goes. So when Jesus started telling the story, the parable, they were like, oh, we know the story. We've heard this, we've told this to our children. Oh, Jesus is going to use this story to talk about how the father rejected that son because that's what he deserved, Right? Jesus flips the script, changes the story, and it's shock and awe. Because they all knew how, have you ever had that? Oh, I know how this goes. Oh, I know that. And then somebody changes it, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, that's not how it goes. Jesus changed the story. But that's exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to this earth. He changed the story. Because the story didn't look very good for us up until Jesus showed up on the scene but he changed the story. Anybody watching history, oh, I know how this is going to end. The, the earth's going to be disintegrated in a ball of fire. And, and the, all those reprobates that turn their back on God are going to all burn and go to hell. Jesus shows up and flips the script, dies once for all and says, if anyone comes to me, if anyone believes in me, they'll not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus flipped the script. Jesus was telling the parable about his own MO, how he did things, and in that story, completely flipped the script. I love that. And look what happens. Chapter 3, lesson 1. What 
shall we do? Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, and that's in your book, that's lesson three, or chapter three, lesson one, number one in that, what did the prodigal son say to his father? Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He was in an attitude of repentance. He was in an attitude of turning. He was changing the way he thinks. Repent also means to turn, but it also means to change your thinking. So he was literally changing the way he thought about himself. And look what happens. Verse, or, or number two in the lesson. What was the response of the father, Luke 15, 22 to 24, as Jesus is telling the story. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. That is not the expected response. Remember, they were expecting him to be turned away, and the father says, don't just bring a, a t-shirt for him, bring the best you've got. Now, here's the thing. Those good Jews who were, who were keepers of the law were going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not fair. That's not right. He doesn't deserve that. How many of y'all know that's mercy and grace? He didn't deserve that. But grace means we get what we didn't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. We get what we don't deserve. Mercy means we don't get what we do deserve. You get that? That's the mercy of God. So the mercy was extended where he was not banished. He was not rejected. He was not sent back out on his own with nothing. He was actually received in even more grace. So he was received in mercy, and then he was loved and blessed in grace. Can you imagine if we operated that way? Can you imagine what it would be like if we operated that way? We're doing a family series. What if we did that in our own homes? where all that, all that came out of us was mercy and grace. And I'm not just talking about your dogs, Tisha. Her dogs are named Mercy and Grace. <laughs> For a good reason, right? And so it, it's, it, that's what we should be extending to one another. Mercy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve, but grace says I'm going to give you more than you deserve, and it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be amazing. And this is what happens. Look at that. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Remember, he was still stinking from the pigsty. He shows up, and I can't imagine what he looked like. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's, let's throw a party. And, of course, we know the older brother was not too keen on that, right? How many times have I, have I acted like that older brother? They don't deserve that. They, they, deserve, they deserve wrath. They deserve judgment. Well, Jesus knew we would say that, and that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, bless and do not curse. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those. Bless your enemies. I mean, Jesus just undoes everything and flips the script on everything. It's an upside-down kingdom, right? Wrong. It's an upside-down world. The kingdom is right side up. Sorry, it was a trick. I totally set you up on that. Jerry, do you have something there? He was still stinking. And they put that robe and that ring. They're like, just come. Just come. Can you imagine what would happen is if we welcomed people into, these, into this building the same way the Father? He didn't just welcome him. He ran to him. It's the only occasion in the Scripture where God ran. 
that we know of. That's the only example, metaphor, where God ran. Because Jesus never was in a hurry. The Father was in a, He moved at the pace of grace. He knows what he's doing. But in this instance, he ran. He ran. It's a mind blower, honestly, that he would run on our behalf. For this son of mine, look what he says. Let's have a feast. Let's party. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And, and actually, when a, when a son would take his inheritance and leave like that, the family would actually, it would be, you're dead to me, basically. You're dead to me. They would completely cut them off. I have a friend that was raised, and he was about two or three generations Jehovah's Witness. And when he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, completely changed his life. His family completely excommunicated him and never had any contact with him again. He is now a missionary in Vietnam. He's been there for many, many years. And Paul Blizzard looks just like Santa Claus. I kid you not. He's got the best Santa beard I've ever seen. And he is thriving, he and his wife. And they've taken children, and they run little children's homes there. They teach English. They run children's homes. And they've just had, their family has grown exponentially as they're just loving kids to Jesus in this really, really uh, difficult place. But he was a Jehovah's Witness, and he got radically saved. He was the most radical guy on my campus in school. Did anybody have a radical friend like that, that you almost were embarrassed to go out and eat with them because they were going to share Jesus with anybody who would give him 30 seconds? I remember feeling sometimes embarrassed because Paul was so radical. And then I remember going, why am I embarrassed that he's sharing Jesus? I mean, he had no filters, I'm just saying. Because, I mean, he came out of Jehovah's Witness where he, he was like so lost and so, he was so grateful that God had saved him and that his entire family abandoned him. I was the pallbearer at his little daughter Jenny's uh, funeral. She died at a very young age. She was born with a birth defect and she lived to be three or four. And when Jenny passed away, I was one of the pallbearers and his own family didn't even come to the funeral. They didn't even... You know, it's tragic, tragic. But I'm telling you, it, what it produced was, a, was an on-fire disciple maker, an on-fire dis evangelist who now is, is giving his life away in Vietnam. For this son of mine was dead. He was dead to me, and now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Can't you just hear the Father God's heart in that? Not just some guy in a story or a fable, but the Father heart, the God, God's Father heart for you. God's Father heart for me. The stuff that keeps me going, it, it, it's not the challenge of doing ministry. It's not trying to grow a big church or be, quote, successful. It's the Father heart to know how loved I am. That keeps me going. Because all the other stuff is like this. I mean, it's like anything else. It's up, it's down, it's high, it's low. It's amazing, it's horrible. You know, the church is amazing if it weren't for people. I mean, it's just, uh, that's just the way this stuff works. If anybody's in the people business, you know what I'm talking about. And don't think church is better because it's church. Right, Pastor? <laughs> Sometimes church folk can be the meanest people on the planet, and that is tragic. It's tragic. But that's not what keeps me going, the highs, lows, ups, downs. It's, it's the Father heart to know I'm loved, I'm saved, I'm born again. And frankly, it's a win-win deal for me. This whole gig is a win-win. I get to do this till it's time to go home. And then when I go home, I get the crown of life. 
and I get to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a win. This is a win-win. It's winning here, winning there. Isn't it amazing? Not a lot of win-win deals on this planet, right? But this is. Number three, same, uh, same lesson. What did Jesus say causes heaven to celebrate? Listen to this. Luke 15, 7. I tell you, and this is Jesus speaking, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who turns, one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So while I love the body of Christ and the church, we're family, right? But let me tell you who I get excited about. I get excited about these two young ladies that come sit on the front row up here that are so unchurched that they don't know that they're not supposed to sit on the front row. You know all of our unspoken rules? We have them, right? We have, we have a rule book that's about eight pages long. We have an unspoken book that's about 70 volumes in church culture. It's the do's and don'ts. Don't think we don't. And people who are churched know, hey, you don't go sit on the first row. Yeah, Wednesday night's good. But actually, you're Sunday too. You, you don't know either. So, <laughs> I know, I'm here. I get it. I'm a front and center kind of guy too, trust me. Because I get distracted easily, so I get, I'm right front end, I'm right up in your stuff. But I love the fact that we have people coming to our church that don't know any better. And while I love you and value you, let me tell you who I'm going to get. I'm going to knock people over to get over and give them a hug. Because they don't know what we know. And they're why we're here. It's the one. This is, this is the one... You know, there's the 99 and then there's the one that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to leave the 99 to go after the one. That's called evangelism. It's going to have a heart for the world. God didn't hate the world. He says, we're in it, we're not of it. But God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? He loved the world. We, in the church, we get it backwards. We start to hate the world. We start to pick it against the world. We start to protest. We start to rant on social media about the world. And the whole time the world's going, and you want me to be one of you? Why would I even want to be like you? Because we're so full of no, 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 don't, don't, don't. Instead of, let me tell you how awesome it is to have your sins forgiven. Let me tell you how awesome it is to know when, you, when this thing, when, you, when this is over, you're going somewhere amazing. Let me tell you how awesome it is to know how free you can live how free you can live right here, right now. That's what we need to be sharing. Amen? There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repentance produces a real change in our hearts and is the fruit of God's grace truly working in our lives. So when we turn, and listen, I don't know about you, I have to turn a lot. Because I have to turn, I have to repent, I have to change my mind. I have to go, wait a minute, I'm going the wrong way. And what's awesome is that the more you get to know the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the more you have that inner compass, that GPS, that true north that's in you, and, it, it, and he, he flags you, flags you. You're going the wrong way. Wait, turn, turn, turn. And you start to listen to him. And it's the spirit of Isaiah 30 where it says, and you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it, whether you turn to the right hand or to the left. And you begin to realize, wait, he's helping me navigate. And he's telling me to turn. I need to turn. I need to repent. And so, and it's a lot more than just saying, I'm sorry, Amen. 
Number five, same lesson, chapter three, lesson one. What did the people say in response to Peter's preaching? In Acts chapter two, we've gone through the book of Acts. Peter is preaching that gospel message, and now there's a response. The word goes forth, and there's a response. Look at the response, Acts 2.37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Number six, if you're following along in your book, what did Peter say they should do? Acts 2.38 and 39. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Turn and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he tells you that gift was the promise The promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Guess who the far off people were? The Gentiles. Because he was talking to the Jews right there. That was right there at Pentecost. He's saying... He's saying, this is for you, for the Gentile, the Jew first, then the Gentile. And he's saying, for those who are far off, that's me, that's me. And in Acts chapter 10, we see that, that same promise extended to us. Peter preached the message of the cross, that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. We've talked about lordship. The result, the people were cut to the heart. They responded by asking, what shall we do? The answer to their question was fourfold. And it's up here on the screen. It's also in your book. Number one, repent. Turn. Here's your response. Repent. I remember being in the Baptist church going to revivals. Anybody remember revivals? Every once in a while, we would actually have a revival, but most of them are revival meetings, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's a difference. And we had a schedule, we had a fall, we had a spring. We always had a, a, a you know, couple of year. And it was exciting, it was neat. Got people kind of moving the same direction. Sweet times. But I remember typically, at least probably by, about the last night when everybody's worn down, tired, their defenses are down, you're just whooped, right? And then they, they give that big altar call and everybody goes up to the front and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and people rededicating their lives to Jesus. That's not bad. It's, it was always beautiful, it was powerful. But I just remember that, that whole ad, idea of repentance. And I remember thinking, is that what repentance is? Because a lot of it was just going down to the front and apologizing to God. I'm so sorry. I'm a wretch. Because, I mean, some of those revival preachers would scare the you-know-what out of you, right? That was their job, right? Scare the hell out of you, right? That's what they did, technically, right on target. And it was hellfire and brimstone. And some of those, some of those places were like, wow, I can smell sulfur in the air. That's how close hell is to me right now. But this idea of just, so we need to go repent. We need to go apologize. We need to tell God we're sorry. Well, that's good. But there's more to it because if you got up from that altar, dried off your eyes, and walked out the door unchanged, you didn't repent. You were just feeling bad. You were sorry. You were convicted. Here's the second thing. He said, be baptized. That that precipitates the fact that you have already said yes to Jesus. So getting dunked, unless you said yes to Jesus, will not change you any more than going to McDonald's changes you into a hamburger, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing. If we're just getting people baptized and going, woohoo, look what God's doing, but there's no life change, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and we don't see the fruits of repentance. The fruit of repentance. 
I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of repentance is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the evidence and proof of the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life. That is the evidence of repentance. And I can say that about those that are brand new in Christ, and I can say that about those of us that have been doing this for a while. Do we exhibit the fruits of repentance on an ongoing basis? And whenever I'm in a situation and I see anything but the fruit of the Spirit being exhibited, whether it's in my own life or someone else, I say, oh, the Spirit is not present in this situation. I'm not submitted to the Holy Spirit. I'm not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in this moment because I'm completely in my flesh right now. And so it's, it's a gauge. It's a litmus test. It lets you know, am I walking with him? Am I yielding to his lordship, or am I just functioning on my own coping mechanisms in my own flesh? Now, I don't know about you, but my flesh is ugly, just ugly. My flesh is judgmental. My flesh will get in on the gossip like everybody else. It tastes like honey. The, the, the scripture says it's like a honeycomb to us. We like Gossip is sweet. And we like to get in on it. And when my flesh starts to like that stuff, it's like it's a signal to me, oh man, you need to repent. You need to turn. Amen? Another one is this, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a part of this process. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice that the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not something to be grasped or taken. It's something to be received. He is to be received, his gift. He's the gift and then the subsequent gifts. And then the next thing they did, they were added to the church. They became a part of the community of believers. Listen, I love everybody. And people who make a choice to say, I don't want to be a part of a church because I've been damaged and hurt, but I can watch it online because there's some of the greatest preaching on, online right now. You, could, you never have to darken the door of another church, but you can get fed. But I still say you're falling short. Because the family of God is designed not just to make you feel good, but also to sharpen you almost like sandpaper sharpening a blade. God puts us in proximity with each other to teach us how to navigate difficult situations. God gave you your spouse, your family, your kids, and all of the craziness that comes along with it, not just so we can live happily ever after, but so we can learn to navigate challenges in life with the people you love the most. He puts us in family to sharpen and shape and form us. God is forming a man. God is forming a woman. God is forming a teenager. God is forming a child. And all of that is good even though it doesn't feel good. But God didn't call us into family to make us feel good. He called us into family so that we would grow and our capacity would expand. And it's a blessing, even though it's painful sometimes. Amen? To be added to the church, the community of believers. Number one in lesson two, chapter three, lesson two, we're moving on, repentance. This is turning from sin. What message did Jesus preach? So we heard, we heard Peter's message. In Mark chapter one, verse 15, look what it says. The time has come, he, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Repent, but the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, listen, it's the time is now. Repent and believe. Repent, turn, and believe. Number four in that same uh, lesson two, 
number four, if you're following your book, what happens when we repent and turn to God? What happens? What's the result? Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God. Again, this is Peter preaching again. So that your sins may be blotted or wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, he's talking in terms of making that first turn, but I find this to be true. In subsequent moments of repentance, the same thing happens. Been walking with Jesus for a long time, but I find that I've, I've gotten off track. It's like, turn, turn. And I always say this, be quick to repent. Be quick. Be quick. Don't run. If you're going to run, run to God, not away from God. Amen? In our sin, when we blow it, run to him, not away from him. Don't do what Adam did. Adam hid, covered himself and hid, so much so that God has to say, hey, Adam, where are you? Like he didn't know. He knew, but he's like, did Adam know where he was? He's, he's identifying the problem here. Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding from God in his shame, and that's what shame does. We're like a turtle that goes into a shell, and we hide as though God doesn't know where we are. It's our, it's our way to cope with, with, with what's going on, but... I think the reason why the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, not because he had it all together. Have you read the Bible? David was a train wreck on so many levels. I mean, he'd just get mad and lop somebody's head off. Oh, sorry. You know, I mean, like, I lost my temper. I mean, David was a warrior poet. He wasn't a poet and then a warrior. He was a warrior, a king, a ruler, and then he was a poet. But he did, and, and oh man, we go down the list of David's misfires. And yet the scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. I believe the reason why the Bible says that is because David was quick to repent. Remember when Nathan the prophet called him out? I mean, he told this story and David was like, find that guy. I want him. I've got my sword. It is sharp and ready to go. And Nathan pointed to David and said, you are that man. And David rent his clothes and he repented. He repented. He collapsed and repented. That was David's heart. God is not looking for perfect. He's looking for somebody who's quick to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a ton of relief because I can repent with the best of them. Oh, God, I'm turning back to you. But am I perfect like a handful? Of no, 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 no. What does our sign say over here? Exactly. Exactly. And we're not alone. We're not alone. We have another wall. We got lots of walls around here. We probably put a lot of signs up, right? So listen to this. Repent, then turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out. And listen to, I love this, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what I sense. When I turn, when I'm quick to repent, it's like, oh, it's fresh again. Okay, the air's clean again. It's after we had these big rains, and, and you, you're driving through town, and the air looks like it's, it just, the world looks like it's in high definition for a little while. It's just cleared, crisp, and clean, and it's refreshing and that's what it's like when you turn. You get that refreshing. Listen to this out of lesson two. This is some of the commentary. The word repentance often brings to mind scary images of people on a street corner with signs reading, repent for the end is near. Have you ever seen those guys? You know, carrying the placard around. You know, they've got that repent for the end is near. 
Actually, the possibility of repentance offers great hope for us, and I love that. See, we're putting a positive spin on this because there's been a negative spin put on that. Repent or you're going to hell. Turn or burn. Get right or get left. You get it? It's been negative. We're a little slow tonight. It's negative. It's negative. And yet, repentance is actually the possibility. It offers great hope. It means to turn around. We already talked about that. Regardless of how bad things have gotten or how far away you may feel from God, when you turn, when you repent, when you turn back, you instantly find God's love and mercy waiting for you. That's, that's my father. That's my Abba. Elaine, are you just praising God or you got something? <laughs> there you go. I love that. That's great. Yeah. It's great, Elaine. That's right. That's right. Takes one to know one, doesn't it? I get it. You know, I used to, my mom used to say, if you swim out to an island for a mile, how far back is it? And I'm like, it's a mile, you know. And, and, but when I became a follower of Jesus, you swim out away from God to, to an island that's a mile. How far back is it? It's one stroke. You turn, you do your flip turn, and he's right there. He's there. It's not fair, but it's God. It's not fair, it's the kingdom. It's not fair, but it's just and people think it's just too, that's too easy. Because we tend to want to beat ourselves up and flog ourselves for sin. Amen? I need to feel worse than I do. I need to feel bad. And God's going, I love you so much. I've re already removed that from you as far as the east is from the west. That's a long way. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great, Bill. Quick. It's great. It's good, Bill. So when you do that, your instant response should be worship. Your instant response should be gratitude, right? Oh, thank you, God. You're so good. Thank you for receiving me. Can you imagine how the prodigal felt? The prodigal was like, I can't believe you're doing this. I stink. I still smell like a pig pen. And don't put that robe on me. It's too nice. I stink. I mean, and God was right there going, no, no, no. I'm giving you the ring. I'm, we're going to kill the fatty. We're, we're, we're going to throw a party on your behalf. And it didn't make sense. And the older brother was totally incensed by the whole thing. And we're quick to point out the older brother's mistakes. But I've been that older brother. But I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And if I told Annette this yesterday on the way driving to our life group, and just we, I love our life group. We just have such a neat thing, and that's how much I, I get excited when I see them. And it's like I was looking forward to it. And I, we were talking. I just told Annette. I said, if if I stand before God before the throne at the end of my life, and the worst thing He can say to me is that Jimmy, you loved too much. 
you were way too tolerant. You were, if that's the, if that's what, I'll take my lumps on that one. I'll say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I did love too much. I did, I did just take the high road too many. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like we think if we love people too much, if we extend too much mercy and grace, we're somehow compromising. And I look at how Jesus handled people. Yeah, he had his moments, go and sin no more. But what led up to go and sin no more? Mercy, grace, another opportunity. It's the, the love of God so, and we, we quote the scripture, but I don't know if we really get it. Love covers a multitude of sin. That tells me that the more love I blanket out there, the more sin that's getting covered. You know what I'm saying? To where all I see is the love of God the mercy of God, the grace of God. And what's tragic is that now that's radical in the church because we've lost what that means. We've lost that to where now we're judging. And churches are fighting, not only fighting inside, they're fighting other churches and competing. Listen, every pastor in this city is my brother in Christ. Every church is our sister, and we should be cheering for them, and not just saying a trite prayer on Sunday. We should be cheering. I drove by St. Barnabas today because I take that road a lot, and I just prayed for them when I drove by. There were a bunch of cars there this morning. I was like, Lord, bless them. Whatever they're doing in there, bless them. Encourage them. Father, fill that place. I ask God to fill that place to overflowing. Bless them, encourage them. Pray for Hill Country Bible, uh, the EV Free Church. I prayed, Lord, bless them, encourage them. Blow that thing up. Give them four services. Wear pastor, wear pastor, uh, I forgot his name offhand. Wear that pastor out, Lord. Give him too much to do because it's growing so fast and it's reaching so many people. It's a heart for God. Bobby Vitek over at, uh, I love that man. He's got the greatest smile. He's like the mayor of our town. You know what I mean? I love, every time I see him, I just feel good. He makes me feel good. I'm like, Bobby, hug me, please. Bring it in here. Bring it in here. I just love him. You know what? We need to be praying for these guys and pray. Is it wrong to love that much? To cheer for them as though we're on the same team? When I played football, I cheered for my teammates. Man, if I wasn't out there on the field, I was on the sideline just getting crazy fired up for them, for what they were doing. If I wasn't on that team or on that special team or that unit, I was like cheering for them. I didn't sit down and drink Gatorade. I was like, yeah, go, let's go. We almost feel like if we do that, we're somehow risking our own success by cheering others on. You know what I'm saying? You're hearing my heart in this? We should be the biggest fan of every church in this community, whether they are of us or not is irrelevant. Amen? And I don't think that's radical. I think that's Bible. Regardless of how bad things have gotten or how far away you may feel from God, when you repent, you instantly find his love and mercy waiting for you. Number nine, how did Paul tell his listeners they could demonstrate their repentance? He said, look, there's something that happens after repentance. Look what it is, Acts 26. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent. This is Paul. I should, they should repent and turn to God 
and prove their repentance by their deeds. He's saying, look, if you repent, there should be something that comes out of you that's the fruit of repentance. We should be able to see that. I've even had people question people that get baptized, not just in this church, but every church I've ever been in. I just don't know if it really took. I just don't know if they're sincere. And I'm like, hey, their lives will bear it out, but it may be five years down the road. Do you know if you plant a bamboo plant, it will not even grow for five years? You ever planted bamboo? You plant bamboo, and it just sits there. It's dormant. Nothing. Five years, you're thinking it's dead. You're mowing over it, stepping on it. You're thinking that thing is dead. In the fifth year, it can grow 75 feet. And then, you're like, then they spread like rabbits. I mean, it's like you can't stop them. You can't kill them. We've got one of those weird desert plants in our yard. And, and remember, it was like, it was one of those spiny looking things. I have no idea what it is. And then last year, what? It is? A what? Oh, okay. That's what it is. What was cool, though, is it was nothing. It, it never, it just, it was just sort of taking up space. Oh, it's a nice desert plant. And then one year it started growing. And it grew so tall. It grew like 12, 15 feet. And it was like almost, I think if I'd sat there long enough, I could have actually watched it growing. It was, it was growing that fast. And it grew this massive stalk out of the middle of it. And it looks kind of weird now, but it was like amazing that it was just, it appeared to be dormant, and then there it was. And that's the way I see this. Because we start demanding things out of them the moment they come out of the water. We need to remember how we were when we came out of the water. It took some time, did it not? Or maybe you were probably a lot further advanced than I was. I wasn't raised in church, so I was starting from ground zero way back. I wasn't even at ground zero. I was like at negative 500. So I had a long way to go just to get to ground zero. But I praise God, there were Christians around me that were patient with me. And tolerant and nice and kind, even when I wasn't. <laughs> it was so rough around the edges. And people were gracious. They allowed me time to grow and to, to not have it all figured out. And we have to have grace for what's happening over here and cheer them on. One of my favorite pictures, I'll, I'll show it next week. I'll throw it up on the screen. I'm not even going to talk about it. There's a picture that we took. If you saw it, we posted it on Facebook of our last baptism. And there's one in particular where it looks like the entire church is leaning in, supporting, cheering. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I look at that picture and just think of all of you and go, wow, we have an amazing family here. Cheering, cheering this on. So look at this. True conversion is like the two sides of a coin. One side is repentance. The other side is faith. We cannot turn from something without turning to something. Did you hear that? We cannot turn from something without turning to something else, all of this is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. That's, we'll end with this. We don't just repent from, and we don't just turn from, we turn to. We repent from sin. We repent from going off the rails. We, pre, we repent from behaviors, but we turn to God. We turn to righteousness, we turn to godliness and what the Bible calls training in righteousness. We turn to. So it's not just turning away, it's turning to. And the mistake that can be made, and I don't even know that we even think in these terms, is that I turn away from something but not to something else. 
I turn away from, but I'm not actually turning to something. Because if you don't turn to something, the scripture says that when a demon is cast out of a man, he goes through waterless places and he finds seven more worse than himself. That's not in the Bible just as some mysterious story. There's a principle there, and I've watched it in my lifetime. I know you did too, Pastor, where we've seen people have a breakthrough, but they turn away from something, but they don't actually get filled with and turn to God. So they're in a no-man's land. But yeah, they, they turned away from that, but they did not go all the way in with him. And that is a dangerous, that is a, that's a desert. And in that place, the scripture says these demons, it says that it goes through waterless places. It finds seven more worse than the first. And then they go back and inhabit that, that person, finding that house swept up and clean, but empty. And it says the condition of that man is worse than the first. And yet they experienced a breakthrough. I've watched it over and over and over and over countless times. And so it's not just about repenting from, it's actually turning to. And I, I'm shameless. You know, I saw where Tim Conway passed away. And I, I grew up watching Carol Burnett and Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. I mean, some classic stuff. But I always get a funny picture of Carol Burnett tackling Harvey Corman on the way out the door. He's trying to go out the door, and she's that jilted lover. And she would, like, tackle him, and he would just drag her out the door. You know what? That's me grabbing hold of God and saying, I am not letting go, no matter how bad it is. And I can say that because I've lived that out more than once in my life. I'm qualified to say that. And it's like, not only am I going to be quick to repent and I'm going to turn away, but when I catch up to God, I'm tackling him. I'm that clumsy kid that, I'm sorry, you're getting all of me because I want all of you. And like Jacob down at the River Jabbok, he said, I, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he held on. He held on. All night long wrestled with the man, the scripture calls him the messenger from God, the personification of God. He wrestled with him. And he ended up walking with what? A permanent limp, did he not? Hey, I'll take a limp if I get him. You know what I'm saying? Amen? All right, let's land the plane. Father, we love you and honor you. Thank you for your word, your words of life. And thank you, Lord, for, for all that was shared tonight. And just, just, we're thinking, God. We're thinking, we're learning, we're expanding our capacity. And we're leaning in and we're turning away from, but we're turning to you, Lord. So even as silly as it sounds, we just want to apprehend. Not only do we receive Jesus, we lay hold of you. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press on. I press on toward the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I apprehend, I go after that high calling. And that's our heart. We want to go after that high calling. I pray for my friends here that will continue to grow, continue to expand, not just for our own sake, but for those that we will be discipling. And for those that are already discipling, Lord, I pray blessing upon blessing on them. Teach us and seal this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen, amen. God bless you.